stand to your feet today, church. Let's sing together. There is power in the blood today. Sing it strong.
Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord today. Please be seated. I am so excited that you're here this morning, and I'm glad that you left the dreariness of the rain outside and you came in ready to worship. We could already hear that today, and I'm excited about that. If you would take out your worship guide for just a minute or just a moment, and down in that bottom right corner, there is a connection card. If you're a guest, we would love for you to fill that out, and at the end of the service, you can take that back to the foyer and meet the pastor, and uh, he'd love to meet you and give him or give you a copy of his book. The Privilege of Worship. And for all the rest of us, if you have updated contact information or prayer requests, that's the same card, and we'll be calling for those at the end of the service as well. If you're watching online, we're glad that you're with us too. Drop us a note either in the Facebook comments or maybe send us a direct message with your prayer request, and we'll pray for those as well this week. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we're thankful for this opportunity, and we're thankful to be in a place that's warm and dry and with fellow believers that love worshiping you. We just pray that you would hear our praises this morning and that you would speak to our hearts throughout this service. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. i 
themselves their own soul could heal. Our shame was deeper than the sea. Your grace is deeper still. Sing with us.
thankful today for the powerful, majestic name of Jesus. We sing to him today. Every voice. As Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the blessings you pour out in our lives each day. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity we have to come and just hear a piece of your word that we can hide it in our heart as we go out into a dark world this week. Lord, we ask that you just give us the boldness and the courage and the wisdom to share that with someone so that they can have that little piece of you. As we return our tithes and offerings to you this morning, Lord, we just ask that you multiply those in this community and throughout the world. Uh, Lord, so that again, we spread that hope of you and that peace of your name uh, throughout our community and our world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
never realize things about your life, things maybe you need to change in your life by observing the lives of others. Uh, maybe you're talking with a friend and they're sharing some problems that they're having and you realize that if you don't change some things in your life, you're going to be having those same problems. Or maybe you see someone doing a great job as a parent or as a spouse and you realize in observing them that you're falling short in one or more of those areas and you need to up your game if you're going to continue to thrive in your relationships. Or perhaps you see a friend who is growing in the faith and you realize that you're stagnant in the faith. Today we're going to encounter a story in which this happens. The story contrasts two men, the patriarch Abraham and the pagan king Abimelech. Through most of the story, Abraham struggles with obedience to God. But in the end, a prayer Abraham offers for Abimelech helps Abraham become more obedient to God. Abraham learned some things by interacting with Abimelech, and today we'll learn some things by observing these two men. So please turn in your copy of God's Word, if you haven't already, to Genesis chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Genesis chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Last week, we began a new series entitled First Words, Seeing God's Word for the First Time. And we're looking at the first time some particular words are mentioned in Scripture and learning some things about those words as we do that. And last week's word was sin, and this week, the word is pray. In this passage, we encounter the specific act of prayer being named for the first time. It's not the first prayer that ever happened, but it's the first time the word prayer or pray is used. But there's a warning. This is a rather odd story. In fact, as I opened my Bible to begin preparation and study for this week's message, I asked myself, why in the world did you pick this passage? You plan your own sermon series as you could have picked anything. Why this one? And I just assumed that because I trust that God was leading in the sermon planning process, he wanted us to be in this passage. And so I kept studying, I kept digging, and I was glad that I did. Because while this is a kind of odd story, the lessons we glean from it regarding prayer are clear and timeless. And so I want to walk through the entire story today and then glean some truths about prayer toward the end. Before we read the passage in Genesis chapter 20, let's set the context. You'll remember that in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham was called by God to go to a land that God would show him. And Abraham left his father's household in the land of Ur, and he started traveling. Then in Genesis chapter 15, God made a covenant with Abraham, promising to give a son to he and his wife, Sarah. 
They were very old in age, but this was going to be the son of the promise. And they struggle with trusting God for that promise for the next several chapters of Genesis. We also have in those remaining chapters between chapter 15 and 20, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. We have Abraham interceding on behalf of those two wicked cities. We have the removal of Lot and his family from those cities. And then we have the city's destruction and the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah happens directly before we get to chapter 20. And so we jump into chapter 20 reading, now Abraham moved on from there into the region of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while he stayed in Gerar and there Abraham said of his wife Sarah, she is my sister. Then Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. And right there we say, hang on a minute. What in the world is going on here? Telling people your wife is your sister? Well, as faithful as Abraham was, he often had trouble with trusting God. That especially was true when it came to trusting God to protect him in foreign lands. Abraham assumed that the regional kings that he would come in contact with as he journeyed through this land would see Sarah's beauty and want to take Sarah as their wife. And in order to do that, they would have to kill him. So Abraham had devised a plan many years before in which he told Sarah, look, when we go into these foreign lands, just tell them you're my sister. Because then my life will be spared. Now, here's the problem with that. It was totally selfish on Abraham's part. Because if Sarah lied about their relationship, oh, Abraham's life might be spared, but Sarah might still be taken to be with the king. And sure enough, that's what happened. In fact, way back in chapter 12, Abraham and Sarah hadn't been journeying long when they go down to Egypt. And sure enough, Pharaoh's officials see the beauty of Sarah. They take her into the palace, and Abraham is even lavished with gifts for his sister. But God was there making up, thankfully, for Abraham's selfish mistrust. God causes Pharaoh and his household to break out in serious diseases. And so Pharaoh calls in Abraham, and he's like, what in the world have you done? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife, man? And Pharaoh then basically kicks them out of Egypt, sends Abraham and Sarah on their way. He wanted nothing to do with this lying Hebrew and his powerful God. Well, as we come to Genesis chapter 20, about 25 years have passed since that Egyptian incident. And you would think Abraham would have learned his lesson all those years before, but he's up to his old tricks again. A similar situation plays out. Abraham and Sarah show up in Gerar. Uh, Abraham tells everyone Sarah is his sister to protect his own hide, and the king takes her to the palace. Now, in this passage, there's no mention of Sarah's beauty, so it's not likely that the king's intentions were necessarily the same as they were in Egypt all those years before. However, Sarah probably was being taken to the palace to become a part of Abimelech's harem so that there could be an alliance forged between him and Abraham. 
But thankfully, God shows up again to bail out Abraham. Look at verse 3. But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, You are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She is a married woman. Now, Abimelech had not gone near her, so he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Did, did he not say to me, she is my sister? And didn't she also say, he is my brother? I have done this with a clear conscience and clean hands. Poor Abimelech. He pleads innocence due to ignorance. Hang on a second, God. <laughs> I hadn't even touched her. I hadn't even gone near her. And God, she told me, she was his sister, and he told me she was his sister. I have a clear conscience. I have clean cans. So let's see how God replies. Then God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience, and so I have kept you from sinning against me. That's why I did not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not return her you may be sure that you and all yours will die. Interesting. God has been protecting the pagan king, but now he offers Abimelech a choice to see how obedient he will be on his own. Option A, give Sarah back and have her husband, the prophet, pray for Abimelech. Or option B, keep her and be destroyed. Mm, Lord, I'll take option A every single time. Well, the story continues almost as it did in Egypt 25 years earlier. Look at verses 8, to, 8 through 10. Early the next morning, Abimelech summoned all his officials. And when he told them all that had happened, they were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham in and he said, What have you done to us? How have I wronged you that you have brought such great guilt upon me and my kingdom? You have done these things to me that should not be done. And Abimelech asked Abraham, what was your reason for doing this? Now we're about to see Abraham's answer. But I want you to notice how he's going to sound like a five-year-old who's got his hand caught in the cookie jar. He does everything but tell the truth. Abraham replied, I said to myself, there is surely no fear of God in this place. And they'll kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not of my mother. And she became my wife. And when God had me wander from my father's household, I said to her, this is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. Now, as we listen to Abraham squirm, pagan Abimelech comes off as more righteous than prophet Abraham. Abraham defends himself in three ways, and all three have problems with them. First, Abraham says he assumed God isn't at work in this pagan land. Now, what pitiful faith for the patriarch of the faith. What a low understanding of the majesty of God. God is at work everywhere because God is everywhere. Abraham should have known that. After all, God had found him way over in the land of Ur. But we'll give Abraham a pass. I mean, he's still getting to know God. 
He didn't have all the Bible that we do. We're only in Genesis 20. The rest of the Bible hadn't even been written or experienced yet. We'll give Abraham a pass. So second, Abraham says his lie was only a half lie because Sarah is his half-sister. Abraham says, well, to tell you the truth, I was only half-lying. Now, really, a lie is a lie. But, again, let's give, let, let's be gracious to old Abraham. The Ten Commandments won't even be written for another 400 years. Maybe he didn't know you shouldn't lie. We're being real gracious, aren't we? But third, Abraham says, ever since God had him wander from his father's house, he's had Sarah say this to protect them. Now, hang on a second. Because with this statement, God, Abraham is incriminating both Sarah for saying the stuff that he told him to say, he told her to say, but he's also incriminating God. And now we have him. Because Abraham's choice of words incriminates him. He says, ever since the Lord had me wander from my father's house. The word wander there in the original means exactly what wander means in English. To wander about hopelessly and aimlessly. In fact, in two other places in the Old Testament, the verb is used to talk about um, sheep who have been led astray. And of course, sheep can easily be led astray and are very gullible. So Abraham is saying that God aimlessly led him away from his father's house all those years ago. And for 25 years, he's just been wandering around not knowing where he was going. Now, nothing could be farther from the truth. Because the entire time that Abraham has been journeying, not wandering, he has had GPS, God's personal self with him. Abraham had never wandered a moment. Every step had been guided by God, at least the steps that were done in obedience to God. So while we may let Abraham slide on the first two, we can't let him slide here. Three strikes, you're out, buddy. He has no way out of this one. Abraham knew this was not true. Of course, Abimelech had no clue none of this was true. He perfectly took Abraham at his word. He, he, the pagan, continues in obedience to God. Again, the pagan is more obedient to God than the prophet. Look at verses 14 through 16. Then Abimelech brought sheep and cattle and male and female slaves and gave them to Abraham, and he returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, my land is before you. Live wherever you like. To Sarah, he said, I'm giving your brother a thousand shekels of silver. This is to cover the offense against you before all who are with you. You are completely vindicated. Abimelech blesses both Abraham and Sarah to compensate for his inadvertent trespass. And even though this is all Abraham's fault, Abimelech, is repentant over his part in the matter. And then something amazing happens. Look at verse 17. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his slave girls, so they could have children again. For the Lord had closed up every womb in Abimelech's household because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. So after all of this disobedience and unfaithfulness on Abraham's part, suddenly and finally, Abraham acts like a prophet. He steps into the role of the prophet and he prays for Abimelech. 
Now, just in case we might be tempted to think that Abraham's just going through the motions here, we see amazing results of this prayer. The result, in fact, is something that no one knew was going to happen before the prayer, and they didn't even know they needed to happen before the prayer. Because Abimelech, his wives and their slave girls are all healed so they could have children again. Because apparently in order to protect just Sarah, God had closed the wombs of every woman in Abimelech's household and in his kingdom. And he had apparently caused some kind of problems for Abimelech as well. No one knew they had these problems before Abraham prayed. But everyone knew they no longer had these problems after Abraham prayed. And the whole kingdom realizes that something has happened. And what's even more interesting is if you peek ahead to chapter 21, that long-awaited son of the promise to Abraham and, and Sarah, Isaac, he gets born in the very next chapter. So even Abraham and Sarah's barrenness is eliminated. Prayer changed everything. Verse 7 of chapter 20 is the first time both the words prophet and pray are mentioned in the Bible. Verses 7 and 17 are the first place in the Bible where the specific act of prayer is named prayer. While prayer occurred at several other places in Genesis up to this point, the word has not been used until here. Why is that? Maybe we can learn something from this rather odd story about prayer. God's word doesn't return void. And all scripture is useful. Even odd stories where a prophet looks like a pagan and a pagan looks like a prophet. So what truths can we gain here? First, prayer unites us with the ongoing work of God. Abraham thought that the kingdom of Abimelech was void of the work of God. He figured there was no fear of God in that place. Therefore, he lied and he connived to protect his hide. But later, Abraham found out that there was a lot of fear of God in the kingdom. In fact, not just a fear in an awe and respect, but Abimelech was scared to death of God after he had that dream. Abraham found out that God is at work everywhere. God didn't start working in Abimelech the moment Abraham prayed. God had already been working in Abimelech before the two men ever even met. Because God is everywhere, he is at work everywhere. In the very first verse of Genesis, he is creating the heavens and the earth. And in the very last chapters of Revelation, he is still calling people to be saved. Throughout scripture and everywhere in the world today, God is active in the lives of both believers and unbelievers, although in very different ways. Through the prophet Jeremiah, God reminds us, am I only a God nearby and not a God far away? Can anyone hide in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not feel heaven and earth, declares the Lord? Because God is everywhere and at work everywhere, he is also a step ahead of us. 
Deuteronomy 31.8, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. Because God is at work everywhere and because he's always a step ahead of us, when we pray, we just simply catch up with him and we are united with his ongoing work. When Abraham prayed, he connected with everything that God had been doing in Abimelech's life and in that kingdom's life. When you pray for someone, you connect with everything God has already been doing in that person's life. For example, back in September, we asked, who's your one? And we all prayed and sought the Lord to give us a name of someone. And we wrote them on this tower over here and, and we put them down and if you put a name on the tower, keep praying. If you haven't put a name on the tower, pray and get one and put it on the tower because we've already seen God work in at least four people's lives that I know about on that tower. And that's not because when that person wrote that name on the tower and started praying, God said, oh, I better do something. No, it's because when that person wrote that name on that tower, they joined God in prayer in what he was already doing in that person's life. When we pray, we are united with the ongoing work of God. When we pray for others, we are not doing the work of God. We are joining the work of God because God is always one step ahead and he's had a head start on our prayers. Second, prayer requires submission to God. Before he got caught in his foolishness and came to his senses, Abraham was trying to do everything on his own. He was not trusting in God to protect himself. He was trusting in himself to protect himself. And when he finally submitted to God and powerful prayer replaced his own preposterous plan, Abraham learned that he had to put his plans aside and to trust God's plans. You cannot obey God if you have not submitted to God. You can't pray to God until you have submitted to God. And every time we pray, we remind ourselves that we need to submit ourselves to God in prayer, even through our posture, a bowed head, a bended knee, show submission. Closed eyes help us shut out the world so that we can focus completely on our conversation with God. Folded hands remind us to let go of doing stuff on our own and to submit to the powerful hands of God. When we begin to pray, we need to submit ourselves to God. Jesus taught this in the model prayer. That prayer begins, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. In other words, God, you are awesome. You are worthy of worship. Everything is about you and your will being done. That is submission. Prayer reminds us that we are not in control, but that God is. That keeps us from pride. It keeps us from leading us and, and, and leading us away from submission. Craig Gorshel uh, suggests that we pray, God, today I submit my mind, my eyes, my mouth, my ears, my hands, my feet, my whole life to you. Use me for your purposes. We need to submit ourselves to the Lord every day because prayer requires submission to God. Third, prayer helps us become whom God desires us to be. In verse 7, Abraham is called a prophet 
for the first time. And as I shared, it's also the first time the word is used in the Bible. But at that point, Abraham doesn't look much like a prophet. At that point, he's far from a powerful prophet or a leading religious patriarch. He's just a lying, scared old man. But God tells Abimelech to give Sarah back and to ask Abraham, the prophet, to pray for him. Pagan Abimelech's request lifts Abraham up to his true calling. The call to prayer calls Abraham up to his potential. When we pray, God works in us to help us to become who God desires us to be. In that special conversation with God, when we put the will of God before our own desires and the needs of others ahead of our own needs, God redirects our thoughts to his desires. He reveals to us his path and his plan for our lives. As James 4, 8 reminds us, when we draw near to God, he draws near to us. And when God draws near, he starts working in us. You cannot be in the presence of God and not be changed. You will be transformed. He will always bring correction. He will always bring a judgment. He's wanting to help us become everything that he desires for us to be. Perhaps you're living what we might call a settled for life. You have neither the life you want nor the life you think God wants for you. It's just the life that you've settled for. Instead of pursuing your potential for God, you settled for what you could do for yourself. If you had to give your life a, a grade, you'd give it a C, just kind of average. If you had to assign an emoji to it, you'd say it's just a meh. It's a settled for life. So let me ask you, why'd you settle? Even more, why are you still settling? Because God has so much more for you. He wants to do exceedingly beyond what you could ask or imagine. He came to give you life and to have life more abundantly. He wants to give you that strong marriage that you've desired for. But you've got to step up and submit that marriage in prayer to the Lord. He wants to provide for your family so that, that you can serve him. But you've got to step up and submit your job, your career, your abilities, your uh, everything about you to the Lord so that he can work through that, he can work in any circumstance. Just ask Joseph, who was blessed in the prison and in the palace. God can work, and God wants to work, because prayer helps us become who God desires us to be. Abraham experienced that. He got raised up to the prophetic level. But finally, prayer brings results. We can't miss that fact. I mean, when Abraham prayed, big things happened. Things that he didn't even know needed to happen happened when he prayed. Prayer is never a waste. Both Abraham and Abimelech learned this truth, and we need to remember it as well, that prayer brings results. There are all kinds of scriptures that say this, but 1 John 5 stood out to me as I was in preparation. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, 
Whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. Prayer brings results. This year, my wife, Rebecca, has been challenged by God to pray bigger prayers. If you read her blog, she's blogged a couple of times about that. And she's already a big prayer, so I'm a little interested to see what might just happen. But at the start of the year, she wrote a scripture verse on our mirror in our bathroom and wrote some key big prayers that she's praying. So we see them every single day, multiple times a day. And this week, she texted me about one partial answer. She said, I had just finished standing in front of the mirror praying and I got an answer. You see, prayer brings results. We miss out on a lot because we don't pray. I don't think there's any one of us who when we get to heaven, God's going to say, you know what, you wore me out with your prayers. I really think, and I'm afraid, most of us are going to get to heaven and God's going to say, I really enjoyed the time that we had together. And here's all that I did because you prayed. But here's all that I would have done if you had prayed. God wants so much more for us. He wants to do great things through us. He wants to use us. So pray bigger prayers because prayer brings results. When Abraham prayed, he was changed. Abimelech was changed. The entire kingdom of Gerar was changed. Sarah was changed. And remember, Abraham was certainly no super saint in that moment. As we've watched Abraham and Abimelech today, do you see some things that need to change in your life? Do you need to step up your prayer life? Do you need to move beyond your settled for life? Do you need to pray bigger prayers do you need to submit to God? What is the Holy Spirit telling you to do right now? As we prepare for our time of invitation, we're going to do this a little differently. I'm going to give you time to pray. And then we'll go through our normal invitation where we can make public decisions. But you might want to kneel where you are. If you're on the ground floor using the kneelers, you might want to come and, and kneel across the front. But seeking the Lord in prayer. We're going to take some time to seek God, to believe in prayer, and to practice these principles together. Would you just join me in a season of prayer? Lord, as we submit to you, we pray that you will speak to us.
Lord, you are the amazing, omnipotent, omniscient God. Nothing is too difficult for you. Lord, you can bring transformation where it seems nothing can change. You can break strangleholds of sin that have been present for years. You can break oppression that's been brought on by the enemy. You can set people free from Satan's grip. Lord, you can bring salvation to that one that we think will never turn to you. Lord, you can bring provision where it seems that there will never be a way. You can bring healing when it seems that healing could never come. Lord, you can make a way in the wilderness. You can clear a path through a forest. You can guide us through all of our own wanderings. Lord, today as we lift up to you our needs and the needs of our loved ones and those that we know, we pray, Lord, that you would speak into each situation. Lord, we want to have faith to pray. We want to practice these principles and we want to see greater things happen. Lord, as we pray these prayers, we're not praying the health, wealth stuff that's out there today. We're praying for God-ordained stuff. We're praying for your will to be done. We're praying for your kingdom to come. We're praying for you to be glorified. And so, Lord, we humbly come before you, submitted to you, giving ourselves to you and asking whatever you need to do in us, do it so that we might serve you as you want us to. Move us beyond mediocrity. Move us beyond status quo. Move us beyond where we are to where you want us to be. And may we rejoice as Abraham did and Sarah did and Abimelech and his kingdom did at the way that you answered prayer. Glorify yourself. That is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.